Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Private Eyes Are Watching You. Super excited today to have my guest on the show, Dave Lukasik, works out of a Chicagoland area up in Illinois. Dave, welcome to the show. Really happy you're here today. Hey, thank you. As you can see, I'm traveling, right? Back in my, uh, <laughs> yep. my dungeon, my basement on office. On your private jet, right? <laughs> yeah, glad, glad to be with you. <clears throat> glad to be with you. Excellent, excellent. So, Dave, you and I first met years ago when I was working for another PI firm doing a lot of brand protection, anti-counterfeiting work, and you were heading up the anti-counterfeiting and brand protection division for Motorola. And I remember back then, man, it was all about the counterfeit um, Bluetooth, like the earpiece devices. I mean, that's when we first started working together. Yeah, all the rage. I mean, and, and you love them or hate them. They're not really around that much anymore with the, you know, with the AirPods and the, and the AirPod Pros and all that, right? You don't see Bluetooth headsets, but boy, first Motorola was first to market. It was just, uh, you know, making a killing, selling a lot of product. There was a lot of counterfeit out there, but it took a while for, I would say, people to care because you really didn't notice. I mean, sales were strong and all of a sudden it was, uh, hey, we're getting quite a few returns coming back the channels why don't you go try and figure out what's going on and, and boy it was it was amazing there was so much counterfeit coming back just in north america alone and we were giving away brand new headsets right for these uh counterfeit versions and it's just just it's so terrible quality but then you've got somebody you know sure it's a lost sale but they're talking about how poor the quality of the product was and how bad the brand was and it kind of took on a life of its own we started digging into wow what else is, is counterfeit out there and like a lot of companies i mean so you think of brand protection, it's a relatively new, uh, you know, platform uh, or, or business, right, In, inside of companies. And there was not a lot of established brand protection programs within businesses. I mean, think of it, Motorola, a 75-year-old company, didn't have a real organized program at all. It had some, you know, law enforcement, some legal people doing ad hoc work or as something came up, uh, but there was no organized program. So I was, you know, fortunate enough to be told to Go take that on as kind of a part-time job with with my other quality and service role, and and and, and boy, it certainly grew into something bigger than we ever th- thought it would be, and and so I chased down counterfeit for Motorola for a number of years. Um, the what's interesting too, but like so, brand protection, the field of brand protection, it's it's real important uh, as long as there's sales, right? So it, it really comes along to to, to sales. Um, uh, and when the sales started to decline, I mean, the need for the brand protection program really wasn't there anymore. Um, I ended up branching out and doing more and kind of building a book of business uh, as an outside consultant because it was what I really enjoyed doing. It took a lot of my disciplines and, and kind of combined them. There's a little bit of something different to do every day. A little bit of travel involved, as you can see from the, from the background there. Um, and that's where I started building my, my book of business. And it was kind of interesting so I was working electronics and around the time a lot of these phone case manufacturers were coming out and some products are just, you know, easier to counterfeit than others. Phone cases uh, has been a big part of my business, but it's, it's anything and everything. Yeah, two, um, two really great points you made, Dave. Um, you know, back then, you know, 15 years ago, people were really just starting to buy everything online. You know, there was still a lot of brick and mortar sales. You know, people would still go to the mall or go to Best Buy. Now there's so much more um, purchases online, but to your point exactly, and we still see this today that certain clients who have either their newer manufacturers or they have a new product line, the first place they realize they have counterfeits is returns. And 
you know, they start getting returns, you know, someone buys something on Amazon, they get it, it doesn't work or it doesn't seem right or it doesn't look like what they thought they were going to get and they return it to the manufacturer. The manufacturer says, well, of course, this isn't what you expected. It's a counterfeit version, it's, it's not ours. And to your point about companies having to replace those counterfeits with genuine just to appease the, the customer and make sure that they don't feel that that counterfeit version is representative of the actual item they've sold. And so we still see that today where the very first time a client reaches out to us and says, hey, we have a counterfeit issue is because they're seeing an influx of returns from people buying things online. It's too late to go back to that individual customer and say, hey, give us another shot. We didn't know. You didn't know. You've lost that customer and perhaps a few more because they, you know, they've shared their horror story with someone else. And they, you know, at the time, those Bluetooth headsets, they were $60, $70 purchases, right? So they moved on to another brand and that, that's what's unfortunate. Um, yeah. And now we see that same issue with, um, you know, clients or customers going and posting bad reviews online saying, hey, I bought this. It didn't work. It didn't connect. It didn't do whatever the function it is that it's supposed to do. And brands are getting hurt by those reviews. And the customer doesn't even realize that they got a counterfeit version. Sometimes, especially with an item that's very inexpensive, someone might buy a $10 item and they don't even bother to return it. They just go and put a bad review and tell all their friends and family how bad the product is. And the manufacturer is, is getting an unfair um, unsolicited review. So it still Wait. goes on today. <laughs> product reviews is a whole separate podcast. So we can different <laughs> yeah, right. it, it, people use um, reviews. We'll, we'll pick on all the platforms today, but Amazon reviews, you can pay for positive and or negative reviews. It has nothing to do with counterfeit or not counterfeit. Hey, I want your product to be uh, beat down. So we'll, we'll, we'll pay for some negative reviews. It's, ugh, but, uh, but the honest, poor reviews of honest counterfeit product absolutely has an impact and we can't get those back. There's no way to go back and say, you know, Hey, we take care of that. Don't worry about it. Uh, so it hurts. And then, and you mentioned where the first time companies uh, hear or see about counterfeit is on product returns. And also back in the day, they've gotten better now, but Alibaba, AliExpress, I'd have clients saying, God, we have, we haven't even launched this product yet. And it's already on AliExpress. What are you going to do? What's going on? Yep. You know, Tell you so. So the the oh, the capability to launch products is is amazing. We started seeing that too with uh, GoFundMe platforms, right? So hey, I got this great new product idea, and here it is. Give me some money so I can fund it. And, and of course, the people overseas are looking at those also. And if it's a good product design, they'll take a look at it and and design it themselves. It'll be to market before uh, you know the original inventor is even to market. That, that happens yeah. quite a bit. Yep. If you have a new product or invention and you put it on Kickstarter or a platform like that, you can guarantee that the Careful. counterfeiters are looking for the most successful Kickstarter projects. They watch Shark Tank, they wait for investments to be made, and they go after those products because they know there's going to be a huge demand there. We always talk about uh, counterfeit being way more driven by the demand than by the supply that... Um, you know, counterfeiters are, are willing to we'll get into it but every time. You and I spent, what, six hours in a car together and never stopped talking. But I mean, when you start talking about, you know, how this stuff originates or even the evolution of brand protection, right? It, it, for me, it was 90% of my day was counterfeit, counterfeit, counterfeit. And that's it. Boy, maybe it's 40% of my day now, maybe 50. It's evolved into so much more. We talked about product reviews or when we talk about kickstarting, I mean, do you have any kind of 
patents or trademarks consider, considered before you even, you know, launch your project idea on a Kickstarter platform. I've seen that before where we've had product ideas that launched and took off before they had trademarks in certain jurisdictions and all of a sudden you're chasing trademarks and in, unless you're the president of the United States, you don't get trademarks that quickly, right? It takes time. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, you've seen a lot of crazy things over your career. You've seen a lot of, um, you know, outrageous type scenarios. You were telling me about one where a, an actual state employee was making some significant money selling counterfeit and it, it bubbled up through an investigation you all were working. <laughs> and I want to hear more about it because I, I, I've only heard like a few of the details, but what I like to do is I always like you to tell us, like, how did this case that led to this situation, like, how did that first come across your desk? How, how did, uh, um, you know, that case come about? Yeah, I mean, the running joke is, boy, we're in the wrong business because, you know, investigators are folks who work in brand protection, know the brands that are being ripped off and know the brands who aren't policing it maybe as well as they should. This case, I'm trying to think it came about too. It was, uh, um, I got a call from uh, the HSI, so formerly it was ICE, which doesn't happen very often, right? So normally we're calling them, pleading with them to take our case, take our case. They gave me a call and said, hey, do you know this, uh, this, this seller on a platform, right? I said, yeah, I know that person. Hey, do you know this seller on this platform too? And I said, yeah, I guess well, I know that person too. And by, by I know that person, meaning I have taken down counterfeit listings from that individual uh, in the past. And what they were doing, everywise, yeah, a common too, they were using PO boxes to ship from, right? So it was the same, shipping from the same area code, right? The same area code or the same zip codes within a 10 mile radius. But each time you got a shipment, it was a different PO box. So they were at least trying to be a little bit uh, creative and anonymous. So I couldn't actually link the, the stores together. And that really isn't always my intent of linking all the stores together. I take the listings down, if the listings go down, that's the, that's really the goal. Um, yes, we're always looking to build cases, but it takes some, sometimes it takes luck. Uh, sometimes it takes consistency. If you get obviously the same seller uh, continuing to sell counterfeit, you can take a case out of it. But this time uh, it was a call out of the blue by HSI. And he, he said, oh, you know what? That's the same guy. I said, well, what do you need me to do? Uh, you know, I can be there next day. And they said, okay, you know, they were well into their case already. Can you come out here next week and, and sort through some inventories for us? And so from a brand's perspective, it's, it, it's relatively limited cost. Uh, I mean, the brand had to have, uh, the brand we're talking about had to have a program in place. So they had to know who to call. Uh, I mean, customs can't, you know, 1-800, whatever the brand is and try to find the brand protection manager. So the fact that I was out there kind of in the public attending training sessions, working with customs in the past gave me the visibility. So they called me direct, I picked up the phone and I said, yeah, I'll be out there in a plane next week. And my job was to basically identify, yes, no, it's counterfeit, and here's why. Uh, and hey, can you come back out in the grand jury and testify? And that's okay. interesting. I love the origin of this case because, and I want to highlight that to our listeners and viewers because a lot of people yeah, don't yeah. know this, but when, when we're working with brands, like you said, more often we're contacting HSI Sometimes they contact us for assistance. Um, a lot of our listeners and viewers may not even know the acronym we're using. So 
HSI is Homeland Security Investigations. Homeland Security Investigators, which are formerly part of ICE and sometimes are still referred that way, and um, you know, the, the you know after 9/11 when all these departments came together, but people often ask us why would Homeland Security Investigators be involved with counterfeit or some intellectual property or some trademark dispute? And what people don't understand, and we we talk about it um, often is the amount of money that is driven by counterfeit is so huge. It's in the multi-billions of dollars. This money that's being generated overseas in China through trade channels, through logistics, through shipping companies, it's all controlled by organized crime. A lot of this money ends up back in the hands of terrorist organizations, whether they're Mexican cartels, whether they're in the Middle East, there's so much money generated That Homeland Security, when they get involved and they start chasing that money and following the dollar, they end up being able to make much bigger cases, understand where the money's going and understand how that might be impacting other things like human trafficking, drug trafficking, other crimes that are being funded through counterfeit. Yeah, you hear those stories all the time. (laughs) This one, it was a, well, you know. Uh, it, 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 in, into an employee who decided he could make some money on the side, probably got a little bit uh, over his head, you know, making $200,000 a year selling counterfeit, had a nice, you know, uh, entry-level government job, but again, a government job with decent pay and excellent benefits. Uh, he was clocking out uh, clocking out early and going home and conducting his his uh, counterfeit work and making a whole lot more money at home. He, he Like they always do, he got caught um, based on some of those systems, just the checks and balances they have in place with the, as, with a government employee. But from an embarrassment standpoint, the HSI definitely jumped on this case. Um, but one more point with that, so working with Homeland Security and Customs, the customs training I mentioned. Now, you know, you go to a lot of these, I'll try to hit, uh, you know, two, three customs training uh, opportunities a year, right? Say, hey, this is my name and these are the brands I represent. Here's who, here's who do I, how do I identify uh, suspect listings. Um, the most important thing you do is you give them your phone, your, you know, your phone number. Call me, I'll be responsive within 24 hours. I did that in, uh, uh, let's see, JFK. Yeah, JFK, right? So, and I said, hey, you know, here's who I am. I'm representing back in the, back at the time it was Motorola. Uh, here's what to look for. And here's a list of some kind of suspects that we've been working on. Nothing for sure, uh, you know, nothing we'd go to court with, but just uh, for your information. Went back home and didn't hear anything for about three months, which which is often the case. And then again, I got a call, said, hey, can you be out here next week? Uh, we followed one of your leads and we've got our own case. And just so happens we had other brands complaining, can you be out here? We're going to go and, and raid the uh, facility. Perfect. You bet. I'll be out there. Uh, so it works. And those cases... If you and far between, you talked about the excitement and the, and the, the glory of what we do. Boy, 90% of the time, I'm sitting behind a computer taking down listings. So if I can get invited to a, a raid or a police action, you, you bet I'll jump on it. And, and really, the more you work with, the way I look at it, the more you work with customs, the more they'll work with you, right? Um, even if it's here, I can't tell if it's counterfeit. It's, it's uh, you know, 10 items or whatnot. I can't tell. I can't tell. I can't tell as long as you answer, right? Um, and every once in a while, you'll get a nice, you'll get a nice case. Um, so that's interesting. And, 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 and HSI work in one case now, you'll learn a lot from them also because I, you know, I know a lot about how they try to knock off the brands that I represent, but that's in my little niche, you know, the brands I represent. But mm-hmm. perhaps maybe footwear clothing or cosmetics is a little bit different 
strategies for every time I sit down with HSI uh, just a couple of months ago. They, they talked about uh, ride shear mules. And what are you talking about? They said, well, uh, in order to avoid uh, getting caught, once the product is in the U.S., they would use Lyft or Uber to get a driver to go and pick up counterfeit and move it from warehouse to the actual retail location. And I was stunned. I'm like, well, don't you have to have somebody in the car and actually be taking a ride? Apparently not. I mean, obviously the individuals was getting a little money on the side and uh, uh, interesting, right? You learn something new every day. And then they also share about how to import if they're getting pressured by, uh, by inspectors uh, going through their product at Port of LA. Well, certainly they're not going to ship it through LA. They'll take the expense and ship it all the way to Miami and then back to LA. And once it's in a country, uh, it's in a country and it's not going to be checked anymore. So that's always been going on. Uh, and that was interesting. And, and this is, you know, this is like I said a month ago, so all during COVID. I mean, it really hasn't, counterfeiters haven't slowed down. If, if anything, like you said, we've got more people online. So their business is probably increased. I mean, not, not, you're not seeing as much, obviously, in the retail environments. You can't go, uh, you know, in the streets of New York and pick up counterfeit as often because there's not the people out there. But online, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Dave. I want to go back to the um, the state employee. Can you say what agency was he was working for? Did, did he actually understand and state. learn the, the business of counterfeiting because it was part of something that he was involved with? No, part no of state employee. Just, just, just completely nope. separate. Yeah, probably started as a part-time hobby after work hours and then started making money and said, hey, I need to uh, focus my attention on what's bringing in the money. So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. A um, couple times. What, I mean, there's uh, been a couple, and then the grand jury. Itself. Go ahead. Yeah, what sector was he working in? Was it electronics? Was it fashion? Was it apparel? Nope. Accounting. He was an accountant. He was. Oh, but he was as far as counterfeit yeah. uh, accessories. <laughs> Excuse me, electronic accessories. Easy money, right? Phone yeah. cases, which were a dime a dozen, <clears throat> and even back to like Bluetooth headsets. The 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 guts of the Bluetooth headsets are basically the same. Um, you know, the cosmetics on the outside and the branding is, is different, but it's a fairly easy product to counterfeit. And, and, you know, we'll go back and forth a lot, but when it comes to counterfeiting, there, there's, there's a bit of a risk assessment. Some products are more likely to be counterfeit than others. So you don't see the entire mobile phone being counterfeited, but you'll see, you know, phone screens, you'll see phone cases, right? Um, you used to see the batteries when you used to be able to take them out before they were embedded. Uh, that was big, big money for counterfeiters. And one of the best things that Apple ever did was started to embed the batteries. So less of a market. You'll, you'll still see aftermarket batteries that are counterfeit, but not as, not as prevalent. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Great point there because, hmm. you know, for, for a lot of counterfeiters, the, the more important thing is to get the packaging right versus the item inside there because the packaging is what needs to get through customs. The packaging is what needs to get, you know, through the customer's hands and they have to believe that this is the product they're getting and in the guts of the product inside is uh, secondary to the, uh, because it could be a simple product to, to recreate or knock off. And so they're focused on the box, the images, the, you know, how it feels, looks, and, and, you know, when the person gets it in their hand. Yeah, sometimes. And then, so it's, again, it's kind of a, the, the, the cheaper the product, yeah, the more they'll take, they'll be careful with the packaging, but the more expensive product, oftentimes we're seeing a lot better quality counterfeit, but then you'll see a misspelled word still on the packaging. So uh, again, and, and, and a lot of times what I advise the brands too is you, a lot of brands will have authentication labels, you know, 
fancy word for holograms, right? Uh, uh, much better than the holograms used to be to kind of identify, you know, authentic versus suspect products. Looking behind a computer screen, that, that doesn't help me all so much. So, so a lot of times I'll say your packaging is, is really what can help. If you're evolving your packaging, say, as a, the product line evolves, you go from an iPhone 8 to an iPhone 9, 10, 11, if your packaging evolves with that, that will help in the fight against uh, counterfeit because typically they're behind the times. You'll have an iPhone, uh, you know, an 8 in, or an iPhone 10, an iPhone 8 packaging or a phone case from a later model. So packaging plays a big role in identification and also in authentication, right? Yeah, I remember those cases, Dave, that, that we used to work on down in, uh, in South America where they, um, they would just take a, a, an old ink cartridge or toner cartridge, they would just remanufacture it, refill it with the ink or toner, and then, but they had an entire separate business where they would have to go and find a manufacturer to make the box and the, the hologram oh, yeah. sticker <coughs> bag so that they could take this refilled ink cartridge, put it in a bag, put it in a box, have the label on there and sell it as brand new genuine product over again. And those packaging facilities were the most important in those type of operations. And so there's, there's no length the counterfeiters won't go to, to replicate and make sure that their product is going to uh, pass, pass the test when the customer gets it in their hands. Yeah, and it's not counterfeit without the trademark, right? So the like back in the day, two battery cells would come in unbranded without without the wrap, the uh, the trademarked wrap around it. And then once it got into the country, they would have a, a, a separate shipment which would have the branding on it. You know, be it Sony Ericsson or Nokia or Motorola in the day. And then so it's not counterfeit when it crosses the border uh, until they put the trademark uh, wrap on the battery cell. Um, we did have one case, another case too with customs where the product was coming from you know China to Anchorage. Anchorage to Mexico, right? So, so it was bypassing our borders, but we did get word from uh, from a law firm and said, so I made two calls. I called a, a customs contact and I called uh, another law firm and said, hey, what can we do about this? Can we intercept this package? Because now you're talking about a, uh, uh, you know, two different countries being involved. Um, the, the ultimate destination was US and it ended up uh, being a successful raid. They, they did a controlled delivery and when the individual went to go pick up the package, it was Mexico. So the police was there waiting uh, and arrested the person on site. And it was interesting. The husband sent the wife in for the pickup and they took pictures and everything. And I said, well, what's, you know, what's going to happen? Is it like the U.S. where the, uh, you know, the trial is months away and the person can go back to work? And they said, no, the uh, you know, individual goes to jail awaiting trial. I said, well, okay. So, so different rules and boy, different jurisdictions have different rules too, like what you talked about. But that was interesting, right? Yeah, so tell, uh, tell me a little bit more about how you work directly with law enforcement. So generally speaking, these law enforcement agents need to have a contact at a brand or a contracted contact through the brand so that somebody is there basically all hours, day and night as that one point of contact to be able to identify and verify is this genuine or is this counterfeit? Yeah, that's, that's really my role. So I'm the point of contact and my, my, my job is to authenticate yes or no. Um, there's no kind of counterfeit, right? And that we ran into that earlier where I was working with someone, there's, eh, this one might be, this one might not be. It is or it isn't. And if you're not sure, then it, then it isn't. We had, oftentimes we would have like uh, uh, the, the phone itself might be authentic, but it'll have a counterfeit battery and counterfeit packaging. And they're offering it as a phone in a package. So the offering is counterfeit. 
regardless of the bits and pieces, if you take, you know, if this if this chip is actually uh, authentic, it doesn't matter. The offering is counterfeit. So it's a yes or no. But yeah, I mean, different jurisdictions are different too, even in the U.S., different cities, some police departments will go in and say, okay, let, let, let's take the product, right? And then we'll take it back and we'll sort through it and, and do it that way. Other ones are much more restrictive as far as we'll serve the person or, or you'll serve the person a cease and desist and, and kind of give them two, three warnings before we can actually go in. And a lot of my work also takes me around the world, right? Uh, and, and the jurisdictions are different. So last year I was in the, uh, in, the, in, the in the Emirates in Dubai, and I was also in, in Kuwait and in Dubai. And, you know they've got very strong uh, IP programs in place where they'll work with you uh, if you work with them, right? And they're very timely. It's expensive, but they'll get the job done. Kuwait, there's the legal environment, the political environment is is, is different. Um, it's not as easy to remove counterfeit. It is there. You can certainly identify it. I can do all that I can do online sitting here in my, you know, in my Chicago office. But when you're on ground, there's not as much support. South Africa, excellent support. We cleaned out a lot of shops in Johannesburg. So it just depends on the jurisdiction. You mentioned South America. That's interesting. It depends on the actual uh, country you're in, right? Because there's different rules in different countries. And that's, it's, it's interesting wherever you go, but you've got to follow the lead of who you're working with, be it customs or law enforcement, right? Yeah, it's always so interesting when you have a, a brand or a company, especially if they're newer or they're just releasing a new product, how quickly um, a, a product made by a, a U.S. manufacturer becomes popular in another part of the world and instantly is now being counterfeited and you've got to understand you know, are we making an impact in this region of the world or are we making an impact because counterfeits flooding the marketplace and how much of the share of that business is counterfeit? Um, I remember back in the day we used to tell, you know, clients, hey, once your product's being counterfeited and once you're seeing it in the marketplace, the first thing to do is kind of celebrate that fact because you're popular enough and there's enough demand for your product that the counterfeiters want a piece of it. And so right after that celebration, though, is when you've got to actually come up with a, a game plan to figure out, you know, how bad the problem is and what you want to do to address it. Yeah, I mean, it's a quick, you can be knocked out of business, especially as a startup company, um, quickly by the counterfeiters, right? And I've had some clients who have gone through that where they sales have skyrocketed and boom, for one reason or another, the counterfeiters take the lead, be it by, uh, you know, they're first to, to, to uh, patent designs or, or, or to secure trademarks in certain countries. Uh, so you've got to be ahead of it. There's a lot to do. And, and, and it's evolved so much. I mean, brand protection, we touched on this earlier that it was, you know, 90% counterfeit 15 years ago when it started. It's changed. I mean, it's not just counterfeit, right? It's, it's, it's uh, sales support. It's um, map violations, right? So pricing violations. Hey, this product is on Amazon. And, and I, don't, I don't know or I don't care if it's counterfeit, but they're violating map. Uh, who is it? Because it's, it's impacting their brand. They can't get the pricing back. Once the pricing goes, uh, you know, gets lower, you can't just automatically go ahead and, and raise that price. So brand protection has evolved into so much, so much more. We talked about um, product reviews, uh, pricing concerns, right? Um, authentication strategies, uh, along with counterfeit. So uh, th that's been an interesting. So the old uh, brand registry with Amazon has been uh, taking up a lot of my time of late. And, and oftentimes it's not counterfeit. It's just getting control of your supply chain, which in the past you could just, you know, it, it was 
easier to have open distribution channels, right? Because it wouldn't always come back to haunt you. But now with, with really with the advent of the Amazon and the growth of Amazon, you've got to have such controls to understand who you're selling to because you can anonymize yourself pretty easily on Amazon. And clients need to understand who's selling the product, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you got to know as a consumer where you're getting it from. You know, I've been doing brand protection for so long that I'm, I'm pretty hard line. Like if I want a pair of Nikes, I'm going to go to Nike.com. I'm not even going to look on the, the secondary sites um, or I'm going to go to one of their actual stores. Um, what with, you know, with more and more brick and mortars going out of business, especially this year, with more shopping being done online. I mean, what kind of advice do you give like when you're just talking to friends and family and they say, oh, this is the greatest new thing. I bought it on whatever platform because I don't want to point any out specifically. I mean, what what do you do? What advice do you give to somebody when they're shopping online? Yeah, boy, be careful. I mean, again, it's the same old, I mean, this goes back to the to, to the early days of brand protection, if it seems too good to be, to, to be true. It typically is. Uh, and there's so many ways to check and verify. If, if you got a website, uh, you know, we just got a, my wife actually, hey, I saw this on Facebook, it's a great deal. Be leery of where are you getting these links from, these advertisement links. Amazon doesn't have to advertise, hey, come to Amazon, most people go there first. Um, be cautious of who you're buying from, really. Uh, on, online, especially, you can go down to the bottom of the webpage and, and, and try to determine where the uh, where the store is located. And if you can't tell, that's a red flag also, right? Uh, a legitimate storefront will actually have a legitimate phone number and a legitimate address. Spend a few more minutes. Um, you know, you, you may get a good deal, but more than likely, you're not going to get a deal. So just a little more due diligence. And go ahead and compare it to Amazon because, you know, you can always compare there, even though it, it there are risks associated with Amazon. It's, it's a good place to start, right? Yeah, and for those that are real diligent, you know, people will even contact the manufacturers and say, hey, I'm thinking of buying it from here. Is this, should, is, is this legitimate or should I actually be purchasing somewhere else? Or do you have a list of, uh, you know, authorized, authorized. Yep. Uh, whether they be brick and mortar or online? Because, you know, with, with the advent of third-party sellers on these platforms, what people don't realize even still in 2020 is that because you go to target.com or walmart.com or amazon.com doesn't mean you're buying from them directly and doesn't mean that they're shipping to you directly. It's full of third-party sellers. Yeah, good point. And if you don't know who that person is that you're buying from, you really can't guarantee that you're getting the genuine item or that you're getting even what you're or you're going to get anything. I mean, there are certain protections in place, which is nice on these platforms as far as just not getting completely ripped off and then taking your money and running. But yeah, uh, as far as the item you're getting, you're, um, you, you know, you're at the mercy of those third party sellers. And what are the return policies, you know, um, we've seen that also like return policies, but uh, some brands have tried to do that where they've tried to say, okay, these are the authentic um, platforms and these are the, uh, the risky platforms who are known to be selling counterfeit. It's just difficult to try to keep track of them all. And you can't blanket a statement that it's all authentic if you purchase from here, because it may not be, right? Or right. it's a guaranteed counterfeit if you purchase from here. You probably don't want to make that statement either. So the individual shopper has to do some, a little bit extra legwork and it'll be better off for them in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these counterfeiters are getting great at like oh, yeah. literally duplicating company websites and making them yep. look incredibly legitimate um, to, to get you to make that 
that purchase. So you're right on there. Well, Dave, where can people find you? Where, you know, whether they're individual interested in what you do, um, brand protection, anti-counterfeiting work and the like, or if a brand needed to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? In my bunker here, right? Yeah, so it's, 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 it's low key. I purposely don't have a, a website. It's lucasticdave at gmail.com and I'll share this information with Mike. And then, yeah, give me, give me a call at 224-715-7099 direct. You can always work through Mike. Mike and I have worked together in the past and still do, uh, but certainly give me a call and let's see what kind of a, uh, issues we're dealing with. And then it's such a variety of work that I'm doing now, right? It, it's expanded so much beyond just the scope of counterfeit uh, brand protection, but uh, let's certainly like to hear what kind of issues you're having and how we can help. Yeah, you're right on there, Dave. And I appreciate it. You know, when we talk about brand protection now, it's like this giant blanket of intellectual property rights that, um, you know, clients got to worry about. And it's not just here in the States, it's internationally and how companies are using trademarks and, and other pieces of, of your information, whether they be copyrighted images and all of the stuff that goes into marketing and selling a product. So, Dave, I appreciate you being on again, man. I really thank you yeah. for uh, being a guest and, and taking some time out of your busy day. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you soon. Bye now. Excellent. And for all our listeners, pay attention, be a smart shopper, understand what you're doing out there, and be aware because you never know when private eyes are watching you. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.